Today's episode is going to be about some insights I gained from the CWCB Expo in in Boston, in Legal Grass, Massachusetts, the hub of America. So the cannabis world, uh, the cannabis world Congress and Business Exposition Conference in Boston. Um, I, I first attended that conference last year, and I, I gained a lot of useful insights from it. And um, I was granted a press pass to come again this year, and and I was able to attend yesterday. Um, the conference went on for about three or four days, but I was only really able to attend yesterday's uh, or the um, the nineteenth of of October's conference, being as I had other commitments with work and and whatnot. But um, today's episode is going to be some is going to be in a, a very useful. It's going to be from, pulled from a very useful panel that I attended at that conference, and um, it's going to build on last week's themes that we talked about regarding advocacy and you know pushing back on our legislatures and our lawmakers and our council members that are trying to hold back legalization and try to hold back, you know, dispensaries opening in, in our cities and our towns. You know, we're still facing a lot of stigma and we're still facing a lot of skeptics. And I feel like this panel really, really gives you, you guys a lot of good ammunition to, 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 to punch back and to, I mean, to punch back and to, to fight back, you know, I mean, it gives you it gives you a good basis to just to do that respectfully and effectively so again i mean so many of you guys like i mentioned last week are going to be voting on cannabis and other related matters in your states or municipalities and unfortunately due to reefer madness dare nixon and the drug war many of our loved ones and grandparents and PTA peers and so forth still harbor skepticism towards marijuana as a medicine and recreational hobby. Just casting your vote at the ballot box won't be enough to make marijuana legal and accessible. As we have seen in Grassachusetts, many municipalities have banned or halted recreational cannabis in, in their borders. And like we mentioned in, 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 in previous episodes, or in the first episode I remember mentioning, in, in, even in California, which has had medical marijuana for about 20 years or about 27 years, only one in seven communities you can get recreational cannabis. You know, there's still a lot of nimbyism, there's still a lot of stigma, there's still a lot of BS behind things. So you're going to need the tools and you're going to need tools and you're going to need, you're going to need to come with the correct mindset towards fighting this. So I'm going to enclose the the conversation with with these with these panelists and these these panelists give you a very strong and robust starting point. And the recording is 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 from the panel called Convincing Skeptics and the presenters are Patricia Hare, Laquay Jewel, Hugh O'Brien and Fred Polinsky. Enjoy and stay medicated, my friends. On your own before you have to spend those precious resources when you're a startup. My name is Hugh Byrne. I am the president of the New Jersey Cannabis Industry Association. Uh, we are an industry association that posture at the moment is focused on advocacy of a context for robust cannabis law and industry participation in both medical and adult use context in New Jersey, which we, uh, the medical program, of course, in New Jersey is uh, underway in its expansion, still has a lot to do, and uh, we're on the cusp, allegedly, of uh, embracing adult use. So we're, we're certainly advocating in both of those contexts uh, simultaneously, which is quite a heavy lift. Okay, thank you guys. Um, the first question is going to be from McQuay. Thank you for your service. I speak for everybody in this building. You know, our veteran community is, uh, seems to be faced with a particularly difficult situation as it relates to medical cannabis, which could make the VA pretty skeptical, I suppose. McQuay, if you had a minute to discuss this topic with the VA, what would you say to them? Wow. 
complicated, um, very emotional. Um, there are many people in the veteran community that are <coughs> faced with debilitating PTSD and other afflictions, um, pain management, and so forth. They have been the advocacy voice that you're asking me this question about now for the longest, uh, up to, and I believe um, Leo Bridgewater was here in the previous event, and he spoke about 22 suicides, 22 suicides a day. Um, I said, that's all, beyond war. Over the walking wounded and people who are coming home from afflictions that can't fit back into society like you and I do every day. Um, the VA is charged with caring for those people based upon what the taxpayers have decided is appropriate and honorable. Now, how well they do, we, you know, everyone has complaints, but I believe that the VA has an obligation to investigate and to ensure that our veterans receive the best care possible. Thank you. Um, Patricia, your law firm does a ton of work within regulatory frameworks. You work with government, you work with license holders. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Emerging markets find reluctant politicians and reluctant regulators all over the place. What would you say to a regulator who sees the writing on the wall, but they don't believe in cannabis, they don't believe in the medical aspect of it, and they certainly don't believe in the adult use piece of it. What would you say to them? Yeah, you know, it's tough because you, you know, I mean, there's just so many different aspects to that question, right? I mean, number one, you really want to know, right, what specific issue are they against, right? Is it the medical? Do they really just feel like, um, if the state, for instance, is contemplating um, a adult use program uh, or a, a medical program, do they think, you know, is there a specific issue that, oh, well, you're just, you're really just wanting the medical program to start here just so that ultimately you could have an adult use program, right? Um, we hear that a lot. And so, you know, you really need to know first what's really the issue, what's really the concern of the legislator, where does it come from? What's the position that they're taking? And why are they taking that, right? Is it specific groups that are um, informing this legislator, right, with their positions? Where do their positions come from, right? What are the reports they're looking at? Um, so it's really drilling down on their concern and being educated about that concern and being prepared to address it, right? Doing your own homework, um, having the data and the reports right there and then with you right, as part of your preparation to be able to edit, educate the individual, right, about the real data that's there. Um, a lot, you know, the, the huge, you know, to me, really, um, the, there's just so many issues here. There's obviously the personal freedom issue. There is the social justice um, impact. When you, you know, a legislator, right, they're making laws and regulations based on policy and, you know, the question is, well, you know, there was a reason why cannabis became illegal. And when you look at the policy behind it, and you ask the question, do we want to continue supporting that policy? Um, I don't know that anyone can really, you know, continue to represent constituents and with a straight face say, yes, I want to continue supporting that policy when it has been you know, it's documented that that policy has been entrenched. I mean, the source has been clear bias. I mean, that's not my personal view. Um, you know, in, in 1920s, basically the, you know, the, really the perception against cannabis was because of Mexican immigrants. And then in, um, in the 1930s, right, Harry Anslinger, um, he was the Bureau, uh, he was the head of the Bureau of Narcotics, he really increased the perception that um, of uh, marijuana madness, and that was tied to, you know, basically would say that oh, all the marijuana smokers are Hispanics, Negroes, Filipinos, and entertainers. Um, you know, and then um, in 1930, so then in 1937, we have the Marijuana Act, and that was really because of economic interests, right, of William Randolph Hearst, who didn't want hemp to um, to compete. With, uh, with with paper and uh, and then the DuPont Chemical Corporation, which didn't want him competing with nylon. Um, so that's your business interest influence there. And then uh, the hemp, and then the tax act was 
Uh, it was overturned by the Supreme Court. Um, Timothy Leary uh, brought a uh, case challenging the constitutionality of the Tax Act, and so that was overturned. But then in um, in 1970s, uh, we have the Controlled Substances Act, right? And then we have the uh, chief admin, the chief domestic. Uh, uh, an advisor for the Nixon administration years later, right, in 1994, he gives an interview and says, look, you really want to know what that was about, the war on drugs? Well, it was really about, you know, two enemies to the administration at the time. It was the anti-war hippies, and it was the blacks, and we know we couldn't make either of those illegal, so we're going to tie the blacks to heroin, we're going to tie the hippies to marijuana, and we'll criminalize both of those, and that's how we'll get at those communities. We'll disrupt their homes, we'll, um, we'll, jail, their, we'll jail their leaders, um, and, uh, and, and disrupt their communities. And, uh, did we, and then he ends, you know, did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. And so when you think about, and, when you, and so I, I think really the question is when you're having the conversation, right, um, do we want to continue supporting a policy that was entrenched and biased? You know, how do you continue being part of that? You know, did the did the war on drugs work? Well, you know, given what the policy was behind the war on drugs, it did work because when you look at the statistics of arrests, and I'm sure you all know this, right? Even though the usage of marijuana between blacks and whites is equal. Blacks are more likely to get arrested 3.37% uh, more likely than whites for marijuana usage. So, you know, if that was the goal of the war, then yes, it did work, right? And so when you're having the conversation, is that still the goal today that we want to be promulgated? You know, um, you know I, I don't know who can really seriously sit there and say, yes, you know, that's what I, you know, that's what my constituents want to do, and that's what I'm going to do. It's really going back to you know thinking the question and you know what did we do in the first place and why did we do it? That's really well said. <clears throat> so skeptics have many reasons for being skeptical in their own minds, whatever that may be. You know, my question is for Hugh. You're an expert in the New Jersey market. Are you seeing special interests play a role in the skepticism at all, whether it be from farming industry or elsewhere? Are they feeding the skeptics? And if so, what are you seeing? Well, well, I think, um, you know, presumably, in the professionalized skeptic uh, environment, that the, the funding research that's been uncovered is distressing, right, to see where the sources of funding have come from. The problem is it's really difficult to put one's finger directly on uh, and, to, and to hunt out, right, the, the actual pull of the money behind the professional skeptics. Uh, they certainly advocate for positions in New Jersey anyway, that are just um, antithetical to essentially a, a, a regulated market, the presence of a regulated market. Uh, they're, they're taking a position usually for them to embrace decriminalization of small amounts so that they're not you know, at the mercy of challenges appropriately about their callousness towards initiatives, but um, at the same time would not go far enough to, uh, to create uh, allow for a, an industry that may, in fact, presumably challenge some other of the interests that are underlying their cause. What's even more peculiar about that is to support decriminalization unto itself is, um, as a matter of substance, to create a massive stimulation of black market supply, which for the prohibitionists would seem to undermine the entire point of their existence, which would be to try and reduce the proliferation of um, of an illegal substance that they don't believe that people should be allowed to do. Um, I find uh, in dealing with uh, legislators, for instance, since we primarily deal with the, the, the professional skeptics is like, um, they're like uh, sand, they shift. Uh, in the 80s, when I first started doing this, they would say that uh, cannabis killed brain cells, which was, uh, of course, predicated on falsified data from the US government. Later, they would say that it's a gateway drug, which is just, you know, I mean, that's, that's asinine from the scientific point of view. Uh, to now saying, 
I don't know what. I think they only are starting to hang their hat on intoxicated driving and there'll just be chaos and mayhem on the streets. Well, the police, are, the, the, the police digest it very well, but, but when, when I talk to legislators uh, and particular decision makers, it, it comes down to the fact that when you're thinking about legalization, uh, having the data is very important and, and engaging in fencing with respect to how innocuous or, or not the cannabis is, is, is important. And I'm delighted to say that the, the data overwhelmingly indicates that cannabis is extremely innocuous. In fact, it's quite beneficial in but um, but then the question is, look, well, how pure does the substance have to be to allow it to exist in a society for people, sensibly for people? And that's that's where we really get to the point. The decision before legislators right, or other public policy decision makers with respect to legalization is a choice between two distinct markets, and only a choice between two distinct markets. I want to underline this: there is not a third choice. So the choice is, do you do maintain this fantasy that policing cannabis will actually have the effect that you desire? It's been demonstrated time and again universally to fail. And of course, the consequences that have gone down that path are beyond deleterious. So to embrace prohibition is to embrace an ever-increasing black market, which of course itself is a gateway market because the people that sell cannabis illegally sell other things and provide a milieu in which to transition from cannabis to heroin or other sources, other illegalities are bound up in quality concerns um, that implicate serious health issues are also bound up in. So they do nothing or to maintain the fantasy that the police will uh, be able to prevent, because you said so, cannabis from being in our society, actually means that you are at peace with an ever-growing criminality of the issue and an omnipresence of dubious cannabis. Now, if you really have concerns about adults interacting with this plant, the real choice is to favor legalization. Because through regulation, just like we did with the end of alcohol prohibition, where bathtub gin let whiskey went away, embracing legalization and regulation uses the forces of the market, the choice, to outcompete the black markets dubious mix of cannabis. So if you really want to talk to legislators, if you're really concerned about people having access to cannabis, fear not, you're not making a decision where you're blessing someone to now go smoke weed. They've been doing that, they'll continue to do that. You're deciding whether or not the police will be empowered to take away their liberty or property does nothing to curtail that in the least. And in fact, your belief that they will be successful if you really care, and you're really concerned about adults having access to this plan, then you should favor regulation. You should favor legalization. You should favor a context that provides transparency, accountability, right? oversight, compliance, that has multivariant um, market watching participants that all oversee compliance with one another. So really, the statement that I like to make to the skeptics is that if you're a skeptic, you would for one minute disabuse yourself of the fantasy that the little flirtations with fascism on this planet that we've done over the last hundred years have been successful in the least. You'll realize that legalization and regulation is actually on your side. And it's actually the best bet you have for avoiding the perceived negatives and certainly the actual negatives of illegal that sounds like a rational perspective. Can I, can I ask a question of you? So, with the with the position of New Jersey and CIA, um, have you taken any public position regarding Senator Ron Rice's position in our state in New Jersey, considering that we're coming up for a vote October 29th for adult use bill to be pushed towards uh, something that Murphy can sign. Yeah. Applying what you just said, has that had any headway with him if you verbalize that at all? No, not with him. Um, so, so Senator Ron Rice is the position of prohibition, although he favors decriminalization. Now, decriminalization is clearly a good thing on one hand, in that it ends the confiscation of people's liberty and property for small amounts of cannabis. 
it's a negative in another angle that the whole host of other public policy issues, right, are, 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 are ignored or, or exacerbated, for instance, the increase in criminality around the political campus. Um, the position that we're taken with Senator Rice's position, those who favor decriminalization, is one, to applaud the idea that we're going to stop utilizing the police forces of society to punish people in, in, in some respects of campus. But to note that it goes not nearly far enough, nor does it make cannabis accountable, or those who interact with cannabis accountable to communities um, that they're serving illegally. Uh, it, it doesn't work with, uh, with, with some people. They're just, for whatever reason, they're totally dug in. But I think others have begun to realize that when they're making this choice, and I think that fear that they have as a legislator is because intuitively you think, well, if it's illegal, it's not there, right? It's not there in any kind of fundamentally salient way. So if I say, I raise my hand, yes, this shall be legal, it's tantamount to saying, I advocate you using it. That's not at all what they're doing. What they're doing is just talking about the context, right, for enforcement. And legalized cannabis is far more circumspect of the organs of policing and other aspects of society than illegal cannabis. And even when we went, I began cannabis in the 1980s, and that was the sort of the apogee, right? That was the high point, high watermark with which we tried to use threats of violence from the police. Um, forces of the United States, the police apparatus of the United States to, to curtail cannabis and other drugs. And it failed. We weren't going back in that direction, thankfully. Well, if that failed, well, what the hell are you going to mean? What, what, at what level of tyranny would you need to affect the change that you so desire? And I guarantee, I think everyone would agree, that the level of tyranny that you would have to embrace is absolutely unacceptable. Because say what you want about the concerns of cannabis, and uh, its safety concerns, that is. Um, cannabis is far safer than fascism with respect to human life. <laughs> the degree to which you need to embrace tactics that are of their generation or genesis of fascism uh, means and implies very, very severe public health consequences. Right. Yes. So, <clears throat> Our opioid crisis is out of control in this country, all over the world. Something I hear from skeptics is the line, well, we don't want to substitute one drug for another. As ridiculous as that is, McQuay, what do you say to somebody who tells you that? Uh, well, um, I have some clients who are actually um, certified counselors in the state of New Jersey. <clears throat> we do community um, education on opioid addiction. We teach the community how to recognize it, how it begins to break down the psychological effects that happen not just to the individual but to the family and community at large. Um, in, in, in deference, if you want to compare those two, uh, how many people have you known to? Opioid addiction, uh, everyone who's had morphine, if you've had Percocet, if you've had any major injury, um, has immediate side effects to your digestive system. Everyone knows that. You need to drink water so you don't become constipated. Um, but the big kicker is you take more of it and you become quickly accustomed to, is what it starts out as. And then you go from accustomed to, it makes me feel good. And like, and I've watched a member of my family pop Percocets like they were Tic Tacs. And the conversation, now they had liver cancer. So the conversation of, and my father also died of liver cancer. So the conversation about cannabis in that state, given somebody who is in their 60s, 70s, they grew up under reefer madness, they grew up under all of this type of propaganda, and you're gonna to come to them when they're viewing their deathbed and start talking about weed. You're, I'm not even sure if you love me. You know, that's the real kind of, kind of viewpoint that they have at you. And then it gets to a desperation to try anything. Um, my uh, aunt who that happened to was a devout Muslim, so she did not engage in any cannabis regardless of whatever the positive effects. My father managed to live two years longer. Um, she was out within 
three months. So my point to that, and, and we're talking about good now, my father was a recovering um, uh, narcotics addictus, addiction, that's what he had. And uh, he was clean for 20 years. So when hospice came and said, you need to take these, these, these drugs, he said, read it to me. So they're reading it. And he said, nah, it's narcotic. Nah, it's narcotic. But he's in pain. So cannabis was an alternative. Didn't save his life, but you know, I think he had some comfort towards the end. My point in saying that is the immediate and understood clear-cut effects of opioid addiction, everyone in this room has probably been touched by it in some capacity. And we need to avoid it ourselves. So when you get sick, what are your alternatives actually to whatever your condition may be? If cannabis is available, then therefore you have an alternative. If it's not, then this may be something that could happen to you. So my response to that is we're all affected by it in a negative way. I don't believe that we have the same negative effects from cannabis, which is pretty much factual by everyone's understanding. So let's explore this. Even if you are skeptical, you can't argue with the reason. The logic is set. Contemplated, you know, the association, the medical association, and, and, and the physicians, you know, it clearly said, no, we do not support this. And yet, when it was contemplated on the on the floor and the question was asked, you know, does the association support it? A legislator said, yes, they do, 100. Um, there is a reason why they didn't support it because they knew of all the beneficial, you know, health effects. And I'm not going to sit here. You, you, I'm sure you all know the research on it. You know. Of the um, benefit, the benefits of uh, of cannabis and, uh, and of CBD um, for cancer and, and obvious seizures and, and numerous other um, you know conditions that now states have states have allowed for in their medical program, um, and so uh, you know the, there is a reason why why they opposed um, putting the put, imposing the tax act the tax act um, before the tax act cannabis was. You know, in many um, over-the-counter medicines and pictures, you know that you could buy um, at a pharmacy, and so you know, it is saying now, you know, we, we can't substitute cannabis for for opiates. I mean, but you obviously made the case clear, <laughs> very clear. You know how many people have died from opiates. Um, you know, it's it's a, um, I think it's a uh, empty argument. And uh, you know there are now therapies that are focusing on. It's very controversial, but there are therapies that are focusing on replacement therapy, right? Um, using cannabis um, to wean off uh, the patient from from opiate use, and, and doing that in a controlled and a uh, and a slow and a slow um, you know method and in uh, a controlled uh, environment to help that patient, obviously combined with therapy. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I think that's a, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's the argument, it's out there, but again, you know, th there's also a reason why a lot of the government, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, um, that there are now initiatives, right, um, by state, uh, by the states to really look into how have opiates been over-prescribed and, you know, uh, do we need to kind of take a look at these doctors, take a look at why they're over-prescribing opiates, if they have been overdoing it, do we need to bring them up to the medical boards um, and, and you know require them to go through education again um, or, or some sort of other consequences? Um, they are, there are investigations now into that and um, you know, I, th there's a reason for it. And a lot of, you know, the, the difficulty too is with doctors, look, you know, when they're prescribing, when they're prescribing an opiate for a pain, you know, it, a lot of times it's because you know their um, their their standards as well. You know, don't leave the patient in, don't leave the patient in pain, right? Do what's acceptable and what's been acceptable, right? To alleviate that pain, what's been acceptable is to prescribe the opiate, however much the patient may need to obviously control it. But again, you know, that's now being questioned, right? That standard is being questioned and. No reasons for it. For sure. <clears throat> Hugh, so what, in your opinion, what's the best way to educate a skeptical municipality? Let's say it's a small town in a corner of Massachusetts or New York or New Jersey, and they don't understand cannabis enough, and you know, you're before a town board um, and you have a presentation or something along those lines. What is, what is your argument in a nutshell 
to convince this town that it's not so bad? Well, I mean, I think, I think the argument, I would come back to the basic argument is that they are, um, the argument should be a little bit more, more complex because there's that nimbyism aspect, right? Which is they may say that, okay, you're, you're entirely correct, that uh, writ large it's better that we have regulated uh, cannabis markets than unregulated cannabis markets, which is the, the two alternatives that are before us, but just not here. It would be better if you were, if you were allowed these facilities to happen, happen on the street. The, the complexities around uh, what works from there has to do with a lot of the culture of the municipality and how it views itself, and also its proximity to other municipalities, right? If there are, uh, if, if they're willing to make the basic understanding, the basic leap in understanding that they're actually choosing something that in general provides more safety um, apparatus over, over the consumption of cannabis than, than is currently the case, then from there you think to yourself, well, what are what are the range of incentives that the state would provide to that municipality, or what the municipality could garner from having this business be in its um, in its town, right? So it it goes two different ways. One is I think that the argument would be to disarm the town or disabuse the town of the notion, or those in the town of the notion that they're dealing with something that is is in itself uh, you know highly problematic, or to to think that they are, um, that they're making a decision that's going to inaugurate cannabis use that's already there for this. Uh, and rather, I think you would want to take the regulation legalization, and then usually there's some very good benefits uh, to the town that are offered from the states with respect to revenue generation, uh, job creation, et cetera, that, that comes from this, this industry. But there are dry towns, and there are towns that Often in New Jersey, beach communities or other towns that tend to have a, uh, that, that are dry or that have a skeptical view of, of certain types of commerce that just don't want to have that. Um, it's to pick your battles carefully. Uh, and I think here, politics outweighs policy. Making the policy argument is always fine, mm -hmm. but people, people, particularly at the very granular levels, are motivated through more political concerns. So I think the strategy that we embrace is we try to find the appropriate coalition of um, as powerful public municipal officials as we can find that are willing to network together and provide us with networking. So we understand as an entree into the town where the pressure points are. Try to avoid, in the first instance, rolling out this issue in a major public event. Try and do it sort of selectively and off the record so people don't feel the pressure See how the politics of all starts to hang together. You can find that it's it's often easier to make the case outside of the concerns when the, the crowd begins to be motivated to show up for for public meetings like this get in and, and, and become promptly hysterical. Like it's it's easier to, to have that to have that and then and then slowly build into a, a larger venue. I often thought that it would be wise for the more operators to consider opening up uh, pop-up dispensaries. And by this, I don't mean actual dispensaries, but I mean in the case where we're trying to make, when we're trying to make the case for, for cannabis establishments in a town that views that the first time that it would have, uh, have broad visibility into what an establishment, what that would look like, would be after they already cast the die and they couldn't come back from that. It's a bit unfair, right? We would like to try to sample uh, the experience. We've, we've taken legislators, for instance, um, to, to Nevada and, and to Colorado to talk with their peers and to see how these things work. And that's worked very well. So I thought, well, we can't do that with the municipalities very effectively, other than large mayors. But why doesn't, why don't some of our industry members, um, why don't we do pop-up uh, establishments? But most of the municipal people have not been in dispensaries. They have a view of dispensaries, which is something like a, uh, a head shop that actually sells weed and probably heroin and cocaine that is run by Rasta Deadheads, right? That's their view. Uh, very few in the East Coast dispensaries look anything at all like that. So, so why wouldn't it be the case? Couldn't we not um, rent uh, in advance of some sort of initiative where we're going to be pushing on a somewhat recalcitrant or mixed municipality that we open up just with rent temporary 
storefront, just when people up and do, and, and put in facsimile for, for what a dispensary would look like and what that experience would look like and allow people to come in and get the tour and see, so see the prophylactics, right? They see the protective devices, they interact with the experts, they see how things would be. And, and what I've just even shown a flip book of photos to municipal leaders of what dispensaries are like and what, what that experience looks like, just from, from static photos, they're amazed. It's, it's, Blows their mind. So what if we what if we went to a city in, in New Jersey? There's a city called Garfield. There's a lot of people in our Hackensack. Lots and lots of people. Uh, very important demographically and geographically for, for the cause, um, and recalcitrant. Well, wouldn't that? But and also, uh, lots of people go through it every day. Wouldn't that be a great place where we would put up one of these pop-up things and offer the community and other people to find the willing members of the municipality? To, to, to sort of promote that, to say, okay, look, you come, come into, come into this, this, this space, and this is not, there's no campus here, but this is, this is the experience. This is what we're talking about when we come in and say, we're talking about this. It's going to look like this. This is it. Um, it is not going to be the dreaded, um, you know, dubious headshot with drum circles and, and all of that, in all likelihood, right? And, and that, I think, would be really helpful. We can get tactile. Because because the, the, the heavy arguments, and particularly going into the data, which is all good and all appropriate, is only as useful as your audience. But if you can get more tactile and, and bring them into an environment, and especially then taking the data, when they're in your environment, if, you, if you're engaging them for the first time in a hostile room with, with, with angry constituents that are, that are you know, completely ignorant or have some sort of like theological predisposition in favor of prohibition, Madness. Wouldn't it be better to, to try and actually be try try and try and bring people into the right environment and provide them with a comprehensive experience and an intellectual experience as well, and then and then back out before you have that meeting in City Hall. Smart approach. Yes, I'm we, we don't actually do that. We actually do workshops with municipal governments in New Jersey, um, county based as well. Uh, we'll, what, what we actually do is we'll bring in the county executive, the freeholders board, um, and give them a full kind of presentation that covers the history, covers the science, and covers the social justice and um, legislative aspects of what we see from a market perspective in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's actually an ancillary business to the entire cannabis industry in New Jersey, but that's one place that we've found that um, we've been very helpful because many um, politicians while they believe that they have a general understanding of cannabis, they actually really don't. They're actually going off of what they knew back then, and they don't think that there's anything new to it. It's just, should we make it legal or not? And that's not, that doesn't give them the best equipment to make good decisions. That's right, that's right. So Patricia, let's say I'm not skeptical. I'm a fan of the medical marijuana program. I don't mind adult use. I live in a small town in Massachusetts. I want the industry to grow around me. I just don't want it anywhere near where I live. I don't care. I don't want it within 10 miles of my home. I don't have any kids, but if I did, I wouldn't want them near it. It seems dangerous, although I think it can help people. So what do you tell somebody like that? How do you how do you break that argument down? Yeah, I mean, the, the local community, you know, Nibiosum, it's really tough, right? And those of you from here, I'm, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're well aware of the issues that are happening right in Massachusetts. Basically, um, local municipalities were given the choice, right, whether to allow um, an operator in their in their town or not. And now, you know, you basically need this community support agreement right before you can get a license. And obviously, you know, the controversy surrounding that is those with the most amount of money. Who can basically give to the town will get that will get that license will get that agreement so then they can go for the license now um, you know that's not what the legislation intended right the legislation intended um, to allow for small operators to be able to uh, operate in communities and not just leave the market for the bigger vertically integrated operators that are you know well very well capitalized um, so it's it's tough to overcome that it's you know from, from the municipality perspective and it's also tough to overcome obviously you know as we've been talking here the um the local community from the uh, from the um, population you know 
um, skepticism. And so it is difficult to have that conversation at, the, at a community board meeting, for instance, for the first time. Uh, it's definitely important to start talking with the leaders first and kind of some of the more involved residents and get ideas about the positions that are out there, about the opposition, before you start addressing it at all at a, uh, at a, bigger, at a bigger meeting. Um, you definitely want to. Uh, you definitely want to have you know connections in the community that you can talk to and, and get their views first. Also, um, you know a lot of times when, uh, like for instance, a community, a municipality will be considering the issue, um, they may not give uh, they may not give um, notice of the meeting to 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 the public, and so you may not know about the meeting until at the very last moment. And what the municipality, what the local leaders may do instead is invite all of these groups that are against, um, you know, uh, against allowing an operator into their community. And so, all that the residents here in that community is all of these negative, right? The world will come to an end if we allow an operator into our community. And so, you definitely have to really be vigilant of even when these meetings are, and really be on top of of the. Um, of the uh, you know of, of the schedule and uh, and make sure that you're there to, to be able to address some of these issues. Okay. Well, Hugh, let's say we're not in the public domain having this conversation. Let's say we're in somebody's living room privately, and I'm here to tell you I think medical cannabis is great. Just don't put it in my town, in my village, in my city, or anywhere near. What do you what do you say to somebody like that? Well, you know, I'm, I'm I'm torn, right? Like on the one hand, right? Who's like an individual? I, I get it. It's foolish. Like it's just a foolish thing to have said, right? Like I'm in favor of medical marijuana, just don't keep it near. It's weird, right? Like you want to tease out, like well, why are you saying something so strangely contradictory? Like you're lauding the substance on the one hand, and on the other hand, you don't want it near you. Yet you have a CBS near you in all likelihood. And CBS is selling things that are far more dangerous, right? Far more habit and the substance in question. And by the way, with far less, by all accounts, um, safety protocols against the diversion of the problems that you have. It, it's just a really, it's a bizarre um, phenomenon. And I think when, when, when someone, if you were lucky enough to have someone lay bare, such a, such a massive contradiction, and, and of course, the skeptics are fraught with, with these types of contradictions, right? It's the shifting sands have shifted as far as they can and they've never found firmament, right? So, point is they'll come down and say something like that to you. And you're just supposed to, that's, that's just dumb and you can't mean that. You can't mean both of those two things together. Right? There's something you don't like. You don't like the patient. And then with medical it's very easy, right? Because there you don't like the patient. You don't want you and yours to behold the sick person. If they're buying cannabis, you apparently don't have a problem with you and yours beholding the sick person if they're buying oxycontin at, at, a, at a drug show. Why? But why? That would be the question. It's like, well, why, why are you holding this what is seemingly mutually contradictory position so firmly? That, that would be, that would be the, the, the start of it. I mean, then you go from there and say, well, my God, isn't there a liquor store near you? Mm -hmm. And what, what is that? I mean, for heaven's sakes, that's quite clearly um, fraught with all of the problems and more than you could expect from cannabis. And with next to none, or bar for heaven's sakes, right? Well, we had this issue in New Jersey. We recently went through sort of a, a I like to call it a preliminary round of licensing. And then this was this, this weird uh, view that there would be no uh, medical uh, dispensaries with, or facilities for that. For the thousand people school. Um, it was weird because the CBS could be right next door to a school and the child could be reaching for the M&Ms as you get your benzodiazepine. And we didn't become hysterical. Within 200 feet of, of said same school, where the campus facility, medical campus facility, is sequestered off into the wilds, where, where patients can be stigmatized for seeking their medicine in the industrial parks, there is a bar where people can be doing shots with scantily clad girls serving the Jägermeister in front of the school as long as it's 200 feet away. Well, none of this cognitive dissonance will really stand for he just definitely says cognitive dissonance, but it's it's a stigma, right? It's a feeling. 
they don't have to have logic as to why they don't like it. But the logic is based on a lie. I mean, they could say it's illegal. I mean, that is the answer, right? But the illegality is based on lies. And, you know, that, that is the problem, right? Well, the, the illegality has, has given it. The illegality yeah. has given it a stain. Exactly, a and that's the stain. That's the stench. It's and, like, but, and, it's but that's how they money. address. That's how they address what's good, what's bad, what's right, right what's exactly. wrong. Exactly. So, it's one of those absurd elements. Exactly. Yeah. The illegality so, is yeah. now the federal illegality, and I've had recently been in Tennessee. Well, well, the other thing was, it's illegal, so it must be wrong. It must be wrong. It must be wrong. That, and, and that's their programming. It is. And that's the programming that's been through these centuries. So how do you, so how do you get through that? That's... How do you get through that? You talk about, you talk about the science, you talk about the health. Well, yeah, about education. Uh, I wanted to know about how do you, or where is there a central source for education? Because it's not just... It sounds like the, the legal people, the, the, um, the people who make the laws need as much education as the public itself. Yeah. Right, and exactly. The public, I mean, it's like, they need the workshops. We, yeah. we give them the workshops because we want to give the workshops to the community, but they're the gatekeepers, right? And they're just one set of gatekeepers. There's another set of gatekeepers. You have the pastors, you have the imams. Yeah, based so, on all this. So, know, so listen to this, I'll give, you, I'll give you a success story for that we've had. Um, so the black community in the state of New Jersey heavily dominates, 65% um, Christian or fundamentalist, however you want to, to, to label that. You would think that, and, and primarily they have given, we're against it, it's not good, that's it. So, okay, first thing you do is, I'm sorry, are we reading from the same Bible? Because that's, is this scripture valid in Genesis? Either it's valid or it's not. Don't say it's valid this time, but it's not valid this time. It's either valid or not. So which one are you saying? They say valid. So when they say it's valid, then we also want to say, well, then what does he say in Scripture? That, so that's there. That's, that's, you deal with that. So that's one layer of that onion. Then the next thing you go to, all right, so how many people here have diabetes? How many have hypertension? How many have 95% of the church is raising their hands. So, okay, got you. So how many, how many pills do you have on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday in your pill case? A lot. Okay, so wouldn't you like to not take all of those pills? Well, here's some alternatives. Not saying you have to do it. Read it. So we'll give you the information. You, then you get to the social justice of it, because you're dealing with a minority community, and everybody has had somebody locked up because of it, or maybe still sitting in jail. So now you have these guys here who are making millions of dollars doing this, and are going to, and you have family members who are in jail for the exact same thing. So now we have to get into the issue. You have to get into the conversation. So the church has taken two positions. One position that they've taken is this is a social justice issue that the church must get involved in. I spoke at the NAACP for the state conference to give them the, 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 basically the lay of the land. And their perspective is they're going to support not only um, that it should be legalized and regulated, but they're also going to support that we should get involved with it economically. So even if you have social justice, you have to have economic justice. And once you get through those layers of that onion, if that's the biggest nut for the African-American community, we've cracked it. Um, we gotta wrap it up in a couple minutes. But I just wanna make a comment, because I think a lot of what, what I've heard here is the symptoms of the problem. Like, you know, meetings being scheduled too late so you can't show up. And that kind of behavior comes from an old way of thinking. It comes from the way we've all been indoctrinated. Yeah. And I think it's one, it's great, like this is the fifth conference I've gone to where we're all learning together. But I think we're all disruptors. And for us to preach to the choir, so to speak, you know, about what we all believe. And I'll just give you an example. I, I'm in the private equity space. I <clears throat> went to a private equity conference, not a cannabis conference. And cannabis was not mentioned at all. And I asked the question right. of the panelists and said, what do you think about cannabis? And 201, it was, oh, it's a gateway drug. Oh, it's illegal. Oh, it's a this. And I said, well, did you ever think about the science behind it? And I gave some statistics. And I, and, or did you ever think about the global market? I just, I just want to finish my thought. Uh -huh. Because I think all of us in this room have to be educators, not just you know crusaders against all these people. But there's so much fact. There's so much science. There's so much more beyond our borders to, to think about this industry that we can't just go to our traditional places. We, I'm now having a Cannabis 101 session 
for investors and those who advise them. Because they need to understand not how to, how to invest, but what this world is. So I think we all have an opportunity to go and disrupt things in our fields, in our chosen field, teach lawyers how to do it. There's some CPAs here that are doing it. You know, get, get mainstream, get articles published about success so it's evidence-based, so doctors have evidence to prescribe it on the science side, and that people, the general public, gets, get more evidence to start to think differently. We've all been brainwashed, and we're all yeah. you know, staying with that. In that yeah, yeah, we can't just make emotional arguments. We have to make practical. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, so like, in, in regards to, like, and it's not so much a problem here in Massachusetts, but I'm hearing in like other states, like they're implementing medical marijuana, but some states they're like banning smokable. They don't think that smokable is legitimate medicine. Like, what do you say to skeptics like that? Uh, you know, you know um, so in New York, right, um, there is no, there's no flower, right? It's only tinctures, capsules. Um, and uh, they just they just started lozenges. Um, look, you know the idea is that you know it, it's there could just be so many more carcinogens, right? When you're inhaling, we don't know what it does to your lungs, and so it's almost kind of like is it, is there a part a contradiction, right? If we're saying this is a medicine and it's supposed to help you, well, um, you know, smoking it may not be the best thing for you, for your lungs, for your throat, um, and so you know that, it, it's tough because. You know, for, for marijuana for ages, it has been smoked, but actually before that, it was in tinctures, and really the cannabis was uh, as a medicine, right, in, in oils and, and topicals. So I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I think it's going to be a while before it's actually thought about, you know, that medicine can also be consumed um, and administrated, as, you know, in a smokable form. But if, if, if you exclude certain of the matrix of consumables, or if you exclude, for some places, one of the vehicles, if you exclude, well, exactly, if you exclude portions of the supply chain from the regulated market, there, there are unregulated corollaries which just continue a pace. So you haven't done anything. I mean, you can, you can think, like, well, I'm going to take the high ground that smoking can't be medicine. Um, the political situation you yeah. referenced earlier. It's all like in New York, it was only based on politics. The governor didn't like smoking, yeah, yeah. and so right. he got a lot of smoking, right. and it was part of the political oh, back and forth. He, 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 he likes marijuana. But he's been here around since. Oh, yeah. Sorry, that's yeah. 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 <laughs> 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 